0: Jacob Young, many of you have followed my career on television and in movies for the past 20 years. As Jacob Young, the actor, the characters I've played have had mountains of problems to overcome. Let's face it, nobody's life is perfect. And in real life, I've also had my fair share of challenges to face. This podcast series sponsored by Boys Town is a place to hear some of my famous friends talk about the issues that they've had to face and how they've jumped over those hurdles on a pathway to a healthy mental outlook. It's time to give it real with Real Conversations with Jacob Young. special guest on this week's mental health podcast is a National Hockey League sports legend. Now, he's played for the Detroit Wings, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Los Angeles Kings. But it's with the New York Rangers that he really etched his name into the ice forever. In fact, he's the host of his own podcast, Up in the Blue Seats, a New York Rangers podcast with the New York Post. Now, Canada... It's brought us a lot of great things. I mean, let's be honest, very friendly people. (laughs) Canadian bacon, a little bit of maple syrup, and ice hockey. Yeah, my special guest this week is hockey legend Ron Duque. You know what time it is. It's time to keep it real with Real Conversations with Jacob Young, brought to you by Boys Town. I want to give Ron a big Real Conversations welcome. Ron Duguay, thank you for joining me. Wow,
1: Jacob, that's quite the intro. Uh, when you start
0: talking about what Canada
1: brings to the United States, I can think of so many. Uh, besides hockey, of course, um, so many celebrities that have come to the States have done really well oh, in, yeah. in, in your business. Of course. Uh, one one good friend of mine who loved hockey was Alan Thick. Uh, who, um, we love it. It We love all. Alan.
0: Alan, it was like, you know, he wrote all of those great songs, you know, all those show tunes we, we knew. Yeah. And how about David Foster? Oh, one of the best. <laughs> yeah. So we could go on and on, but,
1: um, I've, uh, as a Canadian have really appreciated being welcome in the United States, especially in New York, Madison square garden, Uh, being a New York Ranger. And that all started back in 1977. This young man, I grew up in Canada, very simple uh, upbringing. And then all of a sudden I'm thrown into New York and either either I was going to get it and survive or it was going to eat you up. And so I think I had it in me uh, that I felt like I can handle this. And uh, you don't know until something is created around you, whether you can live by it, uh and enjoy it so i i didn't realize the entertainment value that i had inside me i uh of course i knew hockey i knew that i could be a good hockey player but how do you do it on a platform like madison square garden so i think that it brought the best out of me and uh, it was something that i really enjoyed and i got stories forever to talk about
0: oh well we can't wait to hear some of those stories let me ask you this so you know you're from toronto originally right North of Toronto. North of Toronto. Tell us about the town. Tell us about where you grew up.
1: Well, small town, north of Toronto, and a very um uh, very relaxed atmosphere where everyone sort of knew each other and uh uh the community was very friendly as far as, uh, taking in friends and family. And, uh, and of course our uh, choice of beverage was uh, mostly Canadian, but it was just very, uh, you know, back then we only had three channels on our television. And so it wasn't a lot of time spent inside. We were outside as young kids, we grew up around each other and, uh, it was a bicycle and just create things. So very simple environment, no computer, no phones, no nothing. And it was just about friends, relationships, and family. So, and, and to this day, that's why I'm, a, I'm very much a family guy.
0: Well, you are family. First of all, let me just say this, guys. His family is beautiful. You take some good DNA, you put another piece of DNA together. Suddenly, you got some really beautiful DNA. 99% of the time, okay? Doesn't always happen, right? I'm not saying... That you will have ugly children, or I mean that in the nicest way. But this guy has got beautiful children, grown children, but gorgeous children. How is your family? Um, You know, the the one thing is you're
1: uh, being a dad, and you have your kids, and and uh, the thing you want to know is when they grow up that they're going to be okay. Like we at home take care of them, we can take care of them, but once they leave. You want to know that they're going to find the right husband. And I have two daughters who have found the best guys. And so I don't need to worry about them. They're well taken care of. Both their men adore them. They've had grandkids. I have grandkids. They've each had two kids. And so they're doing really well. They live in, in uh, California near Newport beach uh, where I spent some time there. Cause that's where I have been married twice. And my first wife was from there. So I spent a lot of time there. My girls have stayed there. The only thing that uh, it's kind of sad for me is I don't get to see them enough. And so in my second marriage to uh, Kim which you may know, um, I have my son, Noah, Noah's now 26. He lives with me. And uh, so I get to spend quality time with him. So he's good. My girls are good. And when I think about, when I go into prayer, I'm like, what is it that you want <laughs> really? And for me, more than anything else, I've been taken care of. I'm happy. Um, you know, it's the health of your kids and knowing that your kids are self safe and protected. So, I have that. And I feel blessed as it can be. Uh,
0: th- yeah, and you should be. They're beautiful. Uh, I love seeing the pictures. You guys can follow Ron, of course, on all the social media handles. He's out there. Um, and, you know, thank you again. So I want to talk about a couple individual things about you, Ron, because, you know, there's, th- there was, there's one thing that you were known for and you still, you are still known for because you got this great set of hair, man. You still have beautiful hair. But back in the day, it was like sort of a trademark that set you apart from a lot of the hockey players at the time. And because this is a mental health podcast, what can you say to teens specifically today that are trying so hard to fit in like everybody else is? How important is it to be just your unique self? Yeah, I've always felt I
1: I didn't want to be anyone else. I I felt that I. I. If I'm myself, that that will bring the best out of me. If I'm myself and don't try to be someone else, of course, you're always trying to learn from others, which is okay. And as far as um, my identity and who I was and what I look like, it wasn't necessarily something I was trying to do. It was just me being me back then, early or mid 70s, 77, 78, big hair was in. And uh, so I was just kind of following the style. Um, when I played as a amateur hockey, junior hockey in Canada, I always dislike wearing a helmet. And the best way I can explain this is that the guy who likes to ride a motorcycle or right, who likes to have a car that's convertible, doesn't like anything on their head. A little bit dangerous. Not everyone will like to do that. But for me playing hockey. (laughs) Yes. And so for me playing hockey, I just felt this freedom of not wearing a helmet and just flying on the ice and the hair flying. And it was like, I, it's what I really enjoyed. I never thought of getting hurt. Would I recommend anyone else doing what I did? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But to this day, I still play, and I play without a helmet. I have an awareness that I could get hurt, but I pray over myself. I feel like I have this edge of protection around me. I go out there in prayer, and I just do what I feel like I want to do, and, but I wouldn't recommend it for anyone else. That is my best example, my best explanation to how I did it and why I did it, and uh, I still do it to this day.
0: With that in mind, do you think hockey is rougher today than it was? When you were playing? It's, it's
1: not rougher. It's just that the game, this, the pace of the game has gotten quicker. So whenever they collide and hit each other, uh, the impact is a little bit hard. We went a little bit slower, but we weren't, we were tougher and meaner but we weren't more dangerous. We didn't use our sticks. We wouldn't hit anyone across the face with a stick. Now kids grow up in a game where they're so protected. They feel like their opponent is really protected that they just, they, they think they can go up high with their stick and hit guys near the head, hit them from behind a lot of boarding. A lot of that stuff didn't happen because if you did do it to someone, you'd have five guys coming after you um, making sure it doesn't happen again. So we had a lot more respect for each other. And so I don't, the game, is maybe more dangerous now for concussions because we've seen a lot more concussions. Back in our day, we
0: didn't see many concussions. Yeah. We really didn't. People are, they're coming at it a, a little bit tougher. They're faster. coming at faster, stronger, and yes. they're, they're willing to because, Oh, you got the pads on, you got the helmet on, you got all these things and they're coming at you a hundred percent harder. Um, the, uh,
1: they're being reckless, and this starts at a young age well, that was my started, that was
0: my next question is I wanted to know was like how do you feel about that
1: uh, well, it's because they don't know any difference because they grew up as kids because my my son played hockey, and I had him geared up the mask the the neck guard I had him geared up so well that they they feel protected and they think their opponent's protected, so they're reckless when they go into the corner, they are reckless when I was young. I knew the other guy didn't have a helmet on. I knew that I didn't want to hit him from behind. And so I was a lot more careful. So as a young kid, you grew up reckless. And then these guys grow up to be machines by the time they get to the NHL because they train so hard. And they're still, their mindset hasn't changed. Now, it's gotten better in the NHL. The last four or five years, it's gotten a little better because they're getting penalized. They're getting suspended. But it took them a while to just um, have this awareness because they were so brainwashed into playing a certain way.
0: Obviously some great insight on, on that. I, I, you know, I think uh, I think everybody needs to be a little more careful. I think they need to be, they need to take it more, a little more seriously. You know, you see it in football too. Like if you go back in time, you see how much more rough football has become. Um It's like everybody's out to injure somebody versus, you know, playing the game. Do you feel that that's yes. something that's. You yeah, well, I,
1: I I know football players in the way, and I know some older football players, and this is how they describe it: like the older football player back on the line, like they'll rip your finger off, they'll step on your hand, right? They may put their fingers in your eye back then, yeah. But now they're going 100 miles an hour, in this head-to-head contact, and it's the same as the NHL, right? Yeah. They they're, they're they're told do not hit anything above the head, and how many times do we see players keep doing it. They keep doing it. Yep. So you, and I think it's just something that happens when they're young, they're doing it and they just, they, it just doesn't leave them.
0: Well, they're wanting and, that contract, right? They're wanting to get signed, you know what I mean? With that big next year contract.
1: Yes. Yes. But if you realize the, um, the danger or the, how you can really hurt a player, you have to live with that. Like if you break a guy's neck, you have to live with that with the rest of your life. Or if you get penalized in a game, that could cost you the game. So, um, players, I think they've gotten better, but we're still
0: seeing it in football. We're still seeing it in hockey. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Hopefully people start regrouping, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's just like anything, entertainment industry. It's a fight. It's a fight for the top and everybody wants that top position.
2: So
1: let me just add one more thing also, when it comes to Krakash in the NHL, like we used to, I mean, we did a lot of fighting my day and, uh, the players back then they were tough but they weren't guys that started playing in the NHL. Like about 10 years ago, guys were like six, 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 seven, six, eight. And they were fighting and they were in great shape. Like they were fighting to really hurt each other. Like we would fight just more or less. It, it, it wasn't necessarily trying to hurt each other. We're just kind of defending each other, or defending a teammate. But then it became a situation where guys were fighting like big heavyweights were fighting and taking punches without gloves on. And then these guys started getting concussions And then then they retire and then all of a sudden they're left with concussion syndrome and then they get medicated. Next thing you know, we've lost three or four guys out of the NHL from depression, end up taking their life because of it. Or they end up taking drugs and drugs lead to other drugs. Right. And then they then then they can't get out of it.
0: These young players that are coming in and maybe they should be more aware about, you know, the injuries that they're going to be putting on somebody else. And they're going to have to live with that. Oh,
1: absolutely. And, and often, like the coaches will tell you, they want you to play hard. They want you to go all out, take the body, be physical, be intimidating. But there are rules. There are rules to the game. And the rules are stay away from the head. And there are players that still struggle with, uh, with doing that. They end up getting penalized. It hurts the team. You may lose the game. And then there's situations where a player will hit another player, whether it's hockey or football, and they carry that player off on a stretcher. And you don't know if that player can ever come back again. And so, and then not to mention yourself. I mean, sometimes you'll take the worst of the head. And I've, I've seen players go after player and they end up getting the worst of it. So um, I, when I played, I always had that awareness of have respect for your opponent, stay away from the head, because don't do to others what you don't want done to yourself.
0: Right. Right. And that's, that, that's a general respect in sports, right? Sportsmanship, something that I think a lot of people have lost over these years is actual sportsmanship.
1: Yes. And, and, and you know, then I always question the coaching because if you have players that keep doing the same thing, then you got to look at the leadership. You got to look at the coach. And if it's not the coach, then it's the president, then it's the owner. It's like, why are you allowing these certain players to continue to do the same foul, play the same way? So, um, There's um, it all starts from the top.
0: I'm going to switch gears for a second because everybody, you know, we're very aware of let's just all the amazing things. We're going to we're going to touch back on this in this interview. But I want to talk a little bit about in the 1970s. Okay, like, I mean, I was born in 79. So you were obviously chilling out and maxing all cool and shooting some b-ball outside of the school. Yeah. I just uh, referenced Will Smith in that in the 1970s, you were hanging out in New York city in places like studio 54, right? With friends like Andy Warhol. How was that? Um, well, I, as I mentioned
1: earlier, I'm a young man coming from Canada humble beginnings, small town, not much going on other than just playing a lot of hockey. Then I'm in New York and I get there in the summer of 77. I think it was April of 77 studio 54 open. So by the time season starts, September, October, I get introduced or I get asked to go to this club. I have no idea. I, I just think it's just a regular club. And so I go to studio 54 and it didn't take long to figure out, wow, this is different there's nothing like this in Canada. And so for me, I'm still a young man. I mean, I just turned 20. What was exciting to me is I just want to go inside listen to good music, Rod Stewart, BGs, Billy Joel, and just dance and meet, meet ladies. And, um, and so you certainly, you
0: you definitely met some ladies at studio 54. I would imagine. uh, Yes. And so within my
1: first season, I started to become, popular because you become popular by being successful. So I was scoring goals, doing well, the big hair, I had the look. And, um, I think it was in my second season that, um, or my, probably somewhere in that first year where I met Andy Warhol, I got to know him just a little bit from the outside, uh, just high meet and greet. And then I become more popular next thing, you know, Andy says, look at, I'm thinking about putting you on the cover of my magazine interview. And at the time I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I really didn't think interview I didn't I knew Andy was Andy, but he was to to me was just another guy among many like Liza Minnelli. uh, uh, That's the guy that said that's the guy at
0: table 16
1: every night. Yes. And so to me, it was just kind of regular stuff. And so he puts me on the cover of his magazine and that's when the floodgates open.
0: Now, everyone wants to meet me. Yeah. including including steven spielberg first of all i got to give that some rainbow sprinkles sorry because andy yeah. would have done he would have done that he would have yeah. given some rainbow sprinkles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so steven
1: uh, steven spielberg ends up being in new york one day the magazine comes out and steven says i got to meet this guy so he was thinking about the movie raiders of the lost ark he was looking to interview someone that he thought might be an undone that would be a good fit for the lead. And so he gets in contact with Golf and Western that own Madison square garden. At the time he owned the team, I get a call, say, Hey, you're going to meet Steven. And I'm like, who's that? <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> no, I know. And, uh, and so here I am having dinner with this man and basically they told me why he wanted to meet with me. And I'm thinking, wow, this is big. And, um, Roy Snyder, um, the actor that did Jaws. Yeah. Am I getting his name? Y- yeah. So yeah. he was there. He was at the table also it doesn't get much bigger than this, right? I'm sitting there and I'm a young man and I have no idea that it's not just a dinner. It's an interview. And so back then I was actually quite shy and quiet. So I, can't uh, obviously I, didn't, get, I didn't get the part, <laughs> but the fact is what the point I'm trying to make the cover of interview got me in the front door of the celebrity, A-list in New York city. So then I meet Cher, I meet Farrah Fawcett, Bianca Jagger, Holston. I mean, you name it. I met everyone. And uh, and all I was interested in, dance floor, have some fun, and whatever, right? And so I wasn't looking to meet the woman that I was going to marry because I just wanted to have fun. So I have... I probably have, I could probably write a book for every month I was in New York City with what I went through, but Andy was a character, and if you're a tennis guy, my right-hand man, my wingman, was John McEnroe. Oh, nice. Yeah, and so I met John in 78, and he's very single, living in Manhattan, so am I, so we hung out together all the time, and I can tell you stories of John and I uh, had a later date, but trust me when I tell you, we had a whole lot of fun.
0: So, so this would be just sort of an off the question. This is a rebuttal to what you're saying for teens, kids to aspire to a career. You know, you were enjoying yourself, obviously, in a in a macro, like a, a massive way of, you know, you, you had this contract. You're the New York Rangers. You're playing hockey. You're doing what you love. Is it a realistic goal? Should kids try to achieve this sort of thing through sports? This sort of uh, or. I mean, we got all sorts of pressing times that are going on right now. A lot of school programs are shut down. Well, let me
1: uh, I'm trying to give you the short answer. And and as part of an answer that I would give kids, uh, I would just like to touch upon a program that I had for two two school years in the Bronx.
0: Is this the leadership and, and legacy program for kids out of the Bronx?
1: It is, yes, it is a program that I designed for kids where I would go to class and m- my my goal was to be able to inspire these kids, speak to them, uh, be very comfortable, be very frank with them where we can exchange and talk and talk about problems, talk about issues, but it was essentially talking about having leadership qualities and thinking about what is your legacy going to look like and when you get them thinking early on how people are going to remember you that has them thinking every day on the actions that they take are you going to be likable a nice person or are you going to be the kid that's going to end up in trouble because that's basically what your legacy is going to look like and so the one thing I would share with them to try to inspire them I would look at every one of them and I would say look at you you're all different you all look different you all have different backgrounds but the one thing you have and come in, say, y'all have a gift inside of you. And then they start thinking, well, I'm not quite sure what that gift is. And so then I try to get them to think what it's, what, what are the things that you're attracted to? Right. Are you attracted to reading? Are you attracting to writing? Are you attracted to actors on TV? Or do you like the plumber? Or do you like the doctor? You'll, you'll start feeling like you have an attraction towards something. And once you start to feel that, that's probably the gift that you have inside of you. So start pursuing it, start talking about it, start talking about mom to mom and dad about it. start trying it and then develop it. And don't try to be like anyone else. You may inspire to be like someone who's in that lane or that category, but you have a gift in you. I don't care what you look like. I don't what I don't care what your size is. And I would give them, uh, description of various celebrities that have done really well and they come in all shapes and sizes. And there's some are bizarre, some are real, some are different, but they all have this thing that they develop. So I, I encourage them to kind of tap into what is it that they're feeling inside of them? Cause we all have a gift.
0: Oh, we sure do. And, you know, talking about the gift, if you have the gift, right. And we flash forward years from now and well, y- you were actually you, you coached for some time. Do you feel passing that gift on other than just speaking to them? Like do you think coaching is is that next step for an athlete and going in that direction? How do you feel about passing it on to the next generation?
1: You know, sometimes you don't know what you have and sometimes you don't know what you have in you until you try it. Mm-hmm. So I I started I started to coach um, in a situation where I'd been coaching youth hockey, been around youth kids, and and I felt comfortable with it. But did I know that I can do it at an adult level? I didn't know until I, I was in a situation where I was actually playing some professional hockey at the minor league level. They fired the coach, and they come to me and say, Ron, would you mind taking over? I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this. And so uh, I didn't tell it that way, but I just say, yes, I can do it without even knowing whether I can do it. But I think a part of me felt like I can do this Uh, it may not be perfect at the beginning, uh, but I'm going to do it. So, um, the opportunity was there and I'm a big believer that opportunities will come your way. Like doors will open and don't be afraid to walk into that door just to see whether that is your door opportunities come and some will close, some will open. So that opportunity opened up and I'm a big believer of that.
0: Yeah, I am too. I, I mean, I've taught kids, I've taught kids, you know, I teach them acting. I teach young kids through Actors Technique New York. And I've been doing it for years, and now virtually it's it's been interesting. You know, uh, you know, I didn't think I had it in me. Just like you were saying, I didn't think I had it in me. I didn't think I could do that. I I know what I know. I know my instinctive role as an actor. I know how I was able to do what I've been able to do and continue to do, but at the same time. I didn't know if I was able to pass that on to somebody else. And that is, it's a big learning curve. And I think, I think, um, you know, recognizing that and being able to know, like, look, this is something I can do or not do. But, but at the same time, what a great thing to be able to, to pass that, you know, that baton, that baton on to some other child that is eager to want to live in those kind of footsteps. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the New York Rangers podcast up in the blue seats. Let me, let me hear about that.
1: Well, because I've, I've done, I've done, um, you know, I've talked hockey all my life. And so I did television for 12 years. I worked for Madison square garden network. And so I'm very familiar in New York, very popular in New York. And so the New York post wanted to do a podcast for all their sports, all their major sports. And so when they were thinking about hockey, they knew that I hadn't been doing television anymore. Although I was doing the program in the schools, I was in the Bronx, I was in New York. They reached out to me, says, Ron, would you have any interest in doing this? And, and for me, that was easy uh, because that's now it's very much within my comfort zone to talk hockey, talk Rangers and to be able to express myself. See, it's one thing when, it, when you go back to what we were just talking about, like, you know, acting, I know hockey and you know, you have it in you. But do you know how to teach it? Do you know how to explain it? you know how to get people to understand what you're thinking? So that's a whole other thing. And so you figured it out. I figured it out with coaching. And then I kind of knew that I can do this with just doing, Like, because I'm now doing radio. I'm hosting a show. I'm conducting interviews. I hadn't done it before, but I said, yes. because I felt like, you know what? I can do this. So I've been doing it. It's my second season Uh, up in the blue seats means up in the blue seats where back at Madison square garden days, uh, back in the uh, seventies and eighties, the blue seats was, uh, were the rowdies. That's where they sat. The real passionate hockey fan or sports fan sat up there. And so we decided we're going to call it up in the blue seats so that people can recognize that this is something different. And so it's for the New York post gets a lot of coverage And I did my first show yesterday for the start of the season. And it's something I'm really enjoying because it's not me just being interviewing or talking. I'm I'm actually hosting.
0: Yeah. Well, I gotta say, they couldn't have a more handsome guy doing it. So I I just, I just have to put that out there, man. Um, You know, it's a, it's a really great podcast. I reinforce anybody who's listening to this right now to check out up in the blue seats. It's the hockey podcast from the New York post sports guys. And you can join Ron for all the new episodes next season. Um, Just make sure, you know, you, you can even go back podcasts live on. They don't go anywhere. They continue to live. So make sure to check out up in the blue seats. Um, and you're going to get, why, let me ask you this, Ron, why does up in the blue seats separate you from any other hockey podcast?
1: Well, it's two things. I like to think that we provide a good show and a good show is what you got to have good guests. You got to have good content, right? And I'm working with Larry Brooks, which is the top, one of the top writers in the country when it comes to hockey. So Larry is, he's always on with me. He gives me some really good insights and then I got great, Um, former players that I've played with that come on that are fan favorites, mainly Ranger fan favorites, and they give me their insights. And then there's the New York Post. Uh, I get good coverage from them because it's, it is probably my favorite newspaper. Although, uh, it's funny how you go full circle. I believe one of the reasons I got traded from New York was because of New York Post and page six right? And if you, if you were to go back in the, uh, mid eighties, you can, if you start, you Google my name, page six, um, you would find me in page six. And, and I think, um, there was a change of coaching in New York. Well, um,
0: What happened in page six? I want to know. Well, let me back up
1: <laughs> to the coach who didn't like page six. And so in 1981, the miracle Hurt Brooks wins the, uh, gold medal. Of course. Well, Herb Brooks' first job is he comes to New York, right? And now he's my coach, and now I'm at the height of my being a celebrity. So he comes to New York. He's accustomed to having college kids, and now he's sitting in a room with three or four celebrity type hockey players, which is fine. The first season is good. I end up, I love Herb. I end up scoring 40 goals, but I'm partying. I'm having a lot of fun. He's being quiet about it. He's not saying a whole lot because I'm scoring goals. And we're winning. Well. The following season, I'm struggling a little bit and, um, because I partied hard that summer partied harder than I normally would. I come to training camp, I'm out of shape right away. He's got his finger on me and, and then, but I'm still partying. Uh, the season's okay. So now I'm, uh, um, the interview came out and now I'm hanging out with everybody. And, uh, and I, um, there's one story comes out with me. Hanging out with Cher, and then two months later, there's a story of me and Farrah Fawcett.
0: Just making, just making your your normal New York rounds as a Canadian. It's fine. You know, you you gotta you gotta put your finger on the pulse, and you definitely had it.
1: Yeah. So then her book brings me in this office and says, listen, Ron, and he's got the New York post on his desk and he's got it on page six and he's got it in the sports page, he's basically tell listen, I need you out of page six. I need you more in the sports page. And that's all he said to me. Well, two months later I was traded to Detroit. So, um, well that crappy okay. ass team. <laughs> yeah. And so that's kind of, um, so, but I've always loved the New York Post and page. And to this day, you know, I'm always reading it. So when they full circle,
0: meditated- full, full circle has come back. So the, up in the blue seats, a New York post sports podcast by our, our friend, Ron Duguay, Ron, I've got one more question for you. Okay. Yes. Now boys Town's mission is the phrase, and it's a very familiar phrase. He ain't heavy. He's my brother, which is built on the principles of brotherhood and helping out those in need. And some point in our all of our lives, in my life, we all need to be carried by someone. And Boys Town wants to recognize those important people who've helped us. So let me ask you, Ron. Who carried you in a time of need?
1: Wow. I would say that uh, I, you know, I guess I got to look back. My parents, uh, they were there. Good days, bad days. <clears throat> I I, I had, do have to say they were really good role models for me and good example for me. It's not like I got myself in in a whole bunch of trouble. But once I got to New York, uh, I had some days where I would show up to practice a little banged up, and it was it it could have gone the wrong direction. And one of my teammates, who's a good friend of mine to this day, who was le- who's a legendary in in the hockey world, is Phil Esposito. And so Phil Esposito was there for me. In fact, he he made a point of picking me up every day before to go to practice to make sure I got the practice. And that time was a time where him and I would talk. And so wasn't that he would give me any kind of heavy of anything. He was just there for me to be able to talk to someone other than a kid of my age. And so, and to this day, him and I have remained pretty good friends. And uh, so he was a father figure for me, Phil Esposito.
0: That's beautiful. I have to say, just to relate to this a little bit, I've been in that same boat, you know, and I don't know what it was for you, but I know what it was for me. It was very hard to be on. Yeah. I knew how to execute a scene. I knew how good I was, but to be in front of people sometimes for me, it required to be maybe a little bit, uh, you know, intoxicated that happens. And, you know, this been, that has been a struggle in my life, you know, whether it's going out or getting the recognition or feeling better when I came in the next day or being at a, you know, maybe it's a, you think this is something that supports, you know, what you do and who you are. Um, but I have to acknowledge, you know, the fact that you have, um, opened up to us about that. And that's, that's very powerful. And recognizing that guys recognizing that in your own mental health is the first step to getting better. Right.
1: I'm going to just go share with you um, what, what you're saying now is something that happened to one of my kids. um, One of my middle children, uh, her name's Shay. And I can say her name because I'm so proud of her today, but she was that child that um, full of life, beautiful, but didn't feel good about herself for whatever reason was insecure. And so for her to go to a party, she felt like she needed to tap into using drugs and alcohol to get to a place where she wanted to be the life of the party. And that, and then she started that at an early age. I think she was only 14. And by the time she's 17, we're having a center in private school. By the time she's 18, 19, she ends up getting in trouble. She ended up in California. She ended up going to jail a couple weekends and three strikes are out there. Next thing you know, she's in jail for six months. If you, if you can imagine being a dad going to visit your child in jail, and so, when I look back, it was probably the best thing that happened to her because it really uh, she she got to, just before that um, she ended up um, having a child to a man that she ended up marrying at a certain period of time. So the child is what kept her. Uh, believing that she needed to get better. So she spent six months in jail, came out, went into rehab and through prayer and strength of her own, she's gotten out of it. So to this day, she's clean, she's dry. But if, if you were to speak to her, she would just basically tell you she did things she didn't need to do. She didn't have to get high. She didn't have to get so high because what happens, one thing leads to another. You mix alcohol with drugs. Next thing you know, you're doing something's a lot more powerful Then it gets out of control. So you think that you're going to be okay. And for certain personalities, certain body types, it's, it's, it just goes in the wrong direction. So that's what happened to her. I almost lost her a couple of times. Uh, she almost overdosed and uh, she's a good story that I share with my kids when I talk to them about it, just make a choice, a good choice, choice. you think you can get away with it, but um, often a lot of people do not get away with it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Ultimately guys, there's someone that loves you. That's there. That's looking out. You don't need to go down that Avenue because you're finding love in the wrong direction. I found the love in the wrong direction. I did that. I did what Ron's daughter is talking about. I, I thought that I needed to be, a certain way in order to be presentable in front of people because they liked me better, but that's not the case.
1: Yeah. The one thing that my, my daughter will share with you today, she says choosing her friends. She was around the wrong people, people that were encouraging her to keep doing what she was doing. So that was the first thing she needed to change when she came out. She says, I got to eliminate my cha- my friends. And it didn't happen overnight. She stepped, she still kept a couple yeah. and you can tell she was falling off a little bit. we had to remind her. So it took her a while. But the first thing a person will tell you, choose your friends and you can feel it inside. You can feel it in your spirit. Yeah, you know, you, do, you
0: know, right away is this person a kindred spirit or is this person going to harm me in some way?
1: Yeah. And you can feel it in your gut um, because they, they tend to uh, draw into things that are, that would get you in trouble. The dark side of stuff. Do they have a light to them or do they have darkness to them? You can feel it inside you.
0: Uh, One of the, one other thing I want to talk about is the, the great stars program that you have going on.
1: Uh, that's great. Yeah. Grape stars is, uh, is a company that I'm, uh, teaming up with right now. It's an app that they're, uh, that celebrities are using to promote some of their liquors, their spirits, uh, drinks and that sort of thing. So I'm going to team up with them and they're going to develop grape stars, entertainment, Grape stars, entertainment is going to build their brand and they're going to do TV shows. But the, the part that I like about what they've been uh, talking to me with is Ron, we don't want to just be taking 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 we don't want to just be making money we want to be able to give back oh good and so and so um we're in talks now and so i'm absolutely going to do uh, boys town's mission as a possible beneficiary of what we're going to do so you and i will keep talking and hopefully uh, we can take a look at that situation
0: yeah i mean any way we can we can give back and and we obviously boys town and myself that would be an amazing uh you know, amazing, um, uh, collaboration that we could put together in order to, to give back, you know, any way we can, you know, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. You know, these kids, these families are in need. We need to heal yeah. children. We need to heal these families. And, um, Ron, I just want to say thank you so much again for being on the podcast today, being so frank with us about um, y- your personal family, your life, your incredible journey that you've been through, and that continues to go. And for all you hockey fans out there at any age, make sure you tune in, listen, listen to the past episodes of up in the blue seats. You're going to be learning from a legend. The Hockey Podcast is a New York Post post podcast, and join Ron. Make sure you join Ron for all of the new episodes. I want to say thank you so much, Ron DuGay. It's been such a privilege and a pleasure to have a legend like you on my podcast and a loving father and somebody who cares about the human nature.
1: Well, Jacob, thank you very much. Um, I think my best years are ahead of me. A lot of it has to do. I've been uh, taken care of. I, a lot of stuff's been given to me and now it's time for me to continue doing what I'm doing, but it's time for me to give back. And so you and I, we're going to stay in touch and the more we can give, the
0: better we can do. Hey man, it's better to give than to receive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'd now like to bring on the manager of the Boys Town National Hotline and our resident professional, Chris Hallstrom. How are you doing today?
2: Awesome. How are you doing, Jacob?
0: Good. Good to hear your voice. Very interesting interview with Ron, of course. He's led an amazing life from knowing Andy Warhol and being on the cover of Interview Magazine and, of course, um, the trials and tribulations of being a professional athlete. What were some of the things that stood out to you from my interview from a mental health standpoint?
2: Well, it was very interesting just to hear... um, all the different experiences that he he's had in his life, and I think one of the neatest things to to hear is that how he um, still tries to give back, um, especially as he's mentoring kids, uh, and and the fact that he talked to kids about how everybody's different, we're not all the same, um, but we all do have some type of gift, and it's up to us to be able to develop that gift. So you know he talked about. Um, what is it that interests you? If it's writing, if it's, um, the arts, um, even if it's, you're interested in being a plumber, I mean, you know, honestly we need plumbers, yeah. right? So, um, the fact that he, he talked about just find your interest in and develop that I think is so powerful and, you know, finding your passion doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do for, um, your life. Not everybody's going to be an actor. Not everybody's going to be a famous hockey player. Um, So it doesn't have to be your career. It may just be a hobby that, that makes you happy and adds that light to your life.
0: Right. Just be your unique individual self. Don't don't try to be something that you're not comfortable being. If you're going to be a plumber, be the very best plumber because you embrace it and you love it. Um, I love that. Exactly he, right. I love what he said about that. Um,
2: yep. strive to be the best version of yourself. And the fact that like he's a hockey player, but he's had so many different opportunities in his life. And he was willing to open those doors and try new things. Uh, We should all be like that. I think we're all hesitant a lot of times to put ourselves out there.
0: Yeah. Jump out of that comfort zone. Give it, give yourself an opportunity to take a risk. Um, You know, what's the worst that could happen? It it doesn't work out. You took the chance though. You have something to walk away. You've learned something. You you got some takeaway.
2: Yep. So.
0: Ron was, you know, uh, we were talking, he was talking a lot about his daughter, of course. And of course, as a parent, you know, you worry about things like what his daughter had gone through um, and directing him and those in them in the right way, finding the right passions to keep them occupied. As a parent with young children like myself, what are some of the things that I should be teaching them now to help them handle situations like that when they're older?
2: Well, much like Ron exposes, he exposed himself or took opportunities to try different things, I think as a parent, it's always good to expose your kids just to different ways of looking at things, different experiences. How many kids, uh, when they're younger, say when they grow up, they want to be a teacher? Um, because that's what they're used to, is just being around teachers. So exposing your kids just to different experiences, um, I think is really powerful. Um, And when it comes to uh, what Ron was talking about with his daughter, um, it's so powerful, especially with young kids, to role play, to pretend like, okay, pretend that I'm, you know, somebody and I'm going to ask you this and I want you to respond back with, you know, a really loud no. Um, You can make it fun with kids when they're younger. Uh, Even when they get older, you can talk them through you know if you're presented with this situation what are your options um just help them to kind of prepare and uh know what they're going to do when they're in difficult situations
0: yeah especially when it comes to uh, like alcohol or drugs um i remember when i was in school of course there yes. was the, the dare program um which i don't they don't have that anymore but it was really impactful because you know, we were studying the right and wrong ways to, re, you know, to respond to those particular issues and peer pressure that could be coming at us. But those resources are also available on Boystown forward slash parenting. Uh, parents can find all sorts of helpful information on there. Could you explain some of that?
2: Yes. Well, um, the, our Boystown website has a lot of information for parents. Um, in our "Your Life, Your Voice." dot uh, org website has a lot of good information for teens, specifically one of the things um, after listening to what Ron talked about with his daughter. Um, there's a, one of the tips that we have on the website is called um, it's referencing whether uh, your friends are energizing or draining friends. And there's kind of an exercise within that tip where you sit, you write down, uh, the, your different friends' names, and you, you write a couple words that describe them. Like, they're kind, they're funny, um, they're uh, uh, reinforcing to be around, whatever. Like, you find words that describe each one of those friends, and then sit back and look at how do they make me feel when I'm with them? How do I feel after I've spent time with them? Do I get more in trouble with them or, um, cause I think the, the term Ron used was, are they a light in your life? Right. And you don't want friends who give you darkness in your life. You want friends who are there and support you and help put you on the right track. So that, uh, as I heard him talk about, um, that kind of situation, it kind of made me reflect to that one tip that we have on the website that I think is a really good exercise for kids.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny, you mentioned that I just had a really fantastic interview with Trent Garrett, who's was going to be on the show. Uh, he's, he was, he's a, was on Disney, Andy Mac, and Andy Mac was a, a very groundbreaking show for Disney. It was the very first of its kind. It was like a sort of a primetime format. They deal with mental health, like anxiety, and the first uh, gay storyline in Disney history coming out. I mean, they really were groundbreaking in all sorts of ways, but we talked a lot about... You know how Trent moved from different bad situations in his life that we're going to, you'll, you'll hear later on about that in the next, when it's not going to be next week, but it'll be a couple of weeks from now. But it was interesting because we talked about that specific thing. There was a point in his life where he had to ask himself, are these people doing me any favors? Am I getting anything out of this other than, you know, being a good time, Charlie? So he, he really, he really touches on that. So I'm really glad you brought that up. It's a, it's worth repeating many times because I know for, you know, my personal life, I've had bad friends and good friends and, you know, you think they're doing you favors because they're fun to be around, but you have to count up the hours in the day. Like, am I wasting my time? How much when I could be doing something constructive or or are they leading me down the wrong road? So, yeah, I love the fact that he brought that up. And and as he said, are they a light in your life?
2: Right. And really, how do they feel? How do you feel after you're done spending time with them? If you feel worse, well, maybe you need to start looking at the situation and and decide, is that somebody you really want to spend your time with? Right.
0: You know, every parent can relate to worrying about choices that their children will make. When they gain independence, what I I love is that this gives parents something you know to teach now that they could have a big impact on their lives later. Um, talk a little bit about that.
2: Well, I know one thing um, too related to the whole friendship issue is as a parent, get to know your kids' friends, um, invite them over to the house, spend time with them. Take them out for activities, do things um, with your kids and your friends. Like, you don't want to be one of their friends, but if you start spending more time with them, you start to observe your own kids' behavior and how they respond when they're around those people. Um, I just think that's very telling a lot of times. And there's nothing like getting a, a group of kids in a vehicle together and driving them somewhere. As a parent and suddenly you are completely invisible as a parent and they're talking away and you can learn all sorts of things (laughs) about your own child, about your children's friends, um, no matter what age. It's observe, just observe and listen. Uh, It it is really uh, very telling as a parent. And I do think that kind of helps you uh, teach your kids um, to make good choices when it comes to friends, too.
0: Yeah. And just be present. Listen.
2: Right. Yeah. Listen to what they have to say. Um, and and don't be there to fix everything. Don't be there to correct everything. There's a, a lot of listening that goes on as a parent. Um, and then you have to sit back and find the right time to approach them um, to have a discussion about it. So. There's
0: another thing I've been I've been bringing up in my podcast and of course it's Boys Town's slogan Ian Heavy is my brother and I've been asking our celebrities and our personalities that have been joining the show if there was any time in their life someone had to carry them and I asked Ron that question um, I just I think it's very interesting it, it it really knocks people kind of off their feet a little bit they're not they're not aware that I'm going to be asking that question and we get a really unique raw answer. Um, what do you think about that?
2: I just think that's such a good thing to reflect on. I'm not sure we're always really aware of how people have carried us. Sometimes we think we're super independent and that we just handled everything on our own. But when you really sit back and reflect, um, wow, yeah, I've got a tribe of people around me that have helped me through a lot of situations. Um, and then it also, just like Ron, he gives back, he mentors kids. How can we be um, that person that carries somebody else? And it may just be something very simple that we do one day to somebody or say to somebody, Um, But in that moment, we're helping carry them and it may have a lasting impact. We just never know.
0: Yeah, it certainly had a lasting impact in my life. I've had a lot of people who had to carry me through a lot of situations, especially when I became more in the public eye because it wasn't something that I was accustomed to. So I I was reaching out to a lot of people that just had an ear to that would take the time to listen to me. Um, And of course, there was a lot of confusing times. It was my family also, my sister's. Um, but don't be afraid to ask, you know, you're, it's only going to hurt you. You're going to go more into that darkness. If, if you're afraid to ask for help, asking for help is the first part of healing. And, you know, sometimes we all need somebody to carry us.
2: That's exactly right. And sometimes it's just having that person listen. Um, Sometimes just being able to talk through things helps make it more clear in our own minds so yeah, you know, like make a list. Who's that list of people that I can go to when I'm having trouble? Uh, Cause sometimes when you're in that moment, it's hard to think about who do I turn to? So having that list of people to be able to say, you know what, if I'm ever in a bad situation, I know that I have these people to turn to. It's also a good thing for kids too, um, as a parent, to make sure that your kids feel like they have that circle of support around them, not just you as a parent, but who are other adults that they feel like they can turn to. That's a really powerful thing to help kids through all sorts of situations.
0: Absolutely. I recently had an, a situation with my son. He, he had to go get a physical because he changed schools. Um, he's not physically in school, but they still needed that documentation. And the doctor was at, he asked me, he said, you know, Luke, how are you feeling emotionally? And he was blatantly honest. He said, I've been sad a lot. I've been very sad. And he goes, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, I've just, you know, I've been depressed and he couldn't quite put it into words, but it was obviously we made a move. COVID-19 has been a, a big issue with him interacting with other children at the moment, um, not being in, in school and seeing other kids. And of course, you know, mom and dad are teaching him. So that's, you know, different from being taught by an an outside teacher. And we were able to talk through that. And it was, it was very interesting because, you know, you you just never know how it's going to affect you in your own personal life. But, you know, I, you know, I had to reassure him say, well, you've got great things going on here. you got this happening and we're not far off from hopefully being back to normal and you being back into to school on a regular basis and in, in, in person. And, you know, after that, I also think it had a lot to do with the fact he had to go get four shots too. So,
2: oh. <laughs> so of course he was and sad. He is the
0: worst with shots. So, you know, he, he, when I, when he was, a, when he was a toddler, I literally had to hold him down and just, he would scream a kick and the doctors, two or three doctors would come in because he was just so darn tough
2: <laughs> and hold him down.
0: So he's never gotten used to shots. And I just think he was super, super bummed out that he had to get uh, four shots. And I think that also, right. Was, because then the doctor came in and asked him that question. You know, If he would have asked him before right. he had the four shots, it might have been slightly different, these, the response.
2: Right. Well, uh, I do think that's such a neat thing, too, that uh, um, especially pediatricians are doing today, that they are asking kids how they're feeling. And I, that's been going on for a few years. It's not just related to COVID, but uh, it's a great opportunity to kind of screen what's going on with kids. And it's interesting to hear what kids will say. So. Yeah, um, and it's great that your son was able to identify. This is how I'm feeling, and and you're able to talk through like what is it that's causing those feelings. That's huge. Well, that's the, doc- huge. the
0: doctor was like, "Well, mom, dad, I don't really know what goes on behind closed doors." I was like, "Trust me. <laughs> he's got <Yes. laughs> he's got a great life. I promise. I promise. You know. Uh, but you know, it is good that these doctors are asking that because it gives a, the child an opportunity because there's somebody else there." Yep. And and God forbid there is a situation that is like that that's impacting them in the home, that hopefully that's one line of defense that can help children that are in need. So I was exactly. I was thankful that the doctor actually asked that. Now I might be investigated here pretty soon by child services, <laughs> <Yes>. but <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. It's
2: okay for your children to feel sad, though. It's exactly, okay. they
0: they all are allowed. We're all allowed to feel sad. Heck, I feel sad from time to
2: exactly. time. Exactly.
0: Well, Chris, uh-huh. I just want to say thank you so much as always.
2: Well, I truly appreciate being able to to join with you on um, these podcasts and the support of boys town that you give is awesome. Very much appreciated by all of us. It's a
0: uh, it's a it's it's great for me to to learn and and be able to help give back. And just like you were talking, let's pay it forward. You know, people have carried me. Hopefully I can help carry some a few individuals and a lot of exciting things happening. There's a new webpage that's gonna be coming out. I'll be giving you guys some more information about that. It's gonna be on the boystown.org. So it's gonna be a landing place for you to find out information and see some of the behind the scenes of the interviews. Um, But that's about all the time we have for Chris today. Uh, Real Conversations with Jacob Young, the mental health podcast is sponsored by Boys Town. And at Boys Town, like we were saying, the expression is he ain't heavy, he's my brother. For over 100 years, Boys Town has been saving children and healing families. They're only one call away, and they're always there to help. BoysTown.org for all the details about how to access uh, Boys Town's health services, or simply go to YourLifeYourVoice.org. And if you're in the need of immediate help, please. Call the train counselors at Boys Town National Hotline 800-448-3000 800-448-3000 or text voice to 20121. Thanks for joining me on Real Conversations. I'm Jacob Young. Until next time, love yourself and love each other.
1: Real Conversations with Jacob Young is a production of the Empire Podcast Network. For more information on this or any of our podcasts, please visit empirepodnet.com.